In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So, happy Thanksgiving. Um, we took a break last week, uh, and uh, we're starting up again this week. Uh, we finished last time um, the book of the Philippians, um, and now we're going to transition to the Old Testament. A while back, we had studied First and Second Samuel, um, which was kind of like the introduction to First and Second Kings. It's like what happened immediately before it. So, if you're not very familiar with those two books, um, you can go on our uh, on our YouTube channel and watch the the Bible study for First and Second Samuel. Um, so, First Kings um, is a it's a very interesting book. A lot of interesting things happen in this book. Um, here's a kind of an overview, um, so you can kind of see how it is. The first half of the book, approximately, um, it is uh, what's known as the United Kingdom. Okay, the United Kingdom, not is Britain. It's not that United Kingdom. Um, it's when Israel was one kingdom. Okay, so Israel was one kingdom, um, and then later on in the life, actually, of the the reign of the son of King Solomon, whose name is Rehoboam, the kingdom split and divided into be two kingdoms. It became the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, the, during the first half uh, of this united kingdom, um, it is under the reign of King Solomon. Um, the second half of the book, um, on the divided kingdom, there were many different kings um, that reigned, and it was a time of turmoil um, and a lot of wars and, and, and things like that. This is why actually King Solomon is a type of Christ. Um, he is like, the, like, like representing peace, like his, his kingdom had peace um, under him, which is a time of tranquility. Um, and that was for a, a period of about 40 years here in the f in First Kings. Um, in the Septuagint version of the Bible, these four books, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, um, are called First Kingdoms, Second Kingdoms, Third Kingdoms, and Fourth Kingdoms. So it's all kind of one book that was taken and split up um, into different parts. Um, so um, under the leadership of uh, King Solomon, um, Israel had a very prosperous time, and it grew in size and in glory, and Solomon had many, many great accomplishments, and he was well-renowned all over the world for his, um, his accomplishments. However, his weakness um, was women, and he married many, many wives, including many pagan wives. They led him astray from God for a time before he returned back again and offered repentance to God. Um, and this is when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, um, which also we have studied in the past, where it's kind of his experience from having been away from God, having experienced the fullness of everything that you can experience in this world, and he concluded that it was all vanity, and he spoke at length about this vanity. So King Solomon had um, a very... Um, you know, a, a very interesting life from that perspective because, of course, God blessed him, gave him wisdom, gave him power, gave him glory, and then he turned away from God. Then he returned back and told us about his um, experiences. So um, the the book of First Kings speaks about kind of like um, like twin histories. Of course, up the first half of the book, there is one kingdom, but from that point on and through the book of Second Kings, we read about the kingdoms, the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah and the parallels of all of the kings uh, like in both kingdoms. That's why it can kind of get confusing because even sometimes some of the names of the kings are the same um, in, in the north and in the south. And to keep track of, okay, w which, which king are we talking about um, um, and so on. So it's, um, uh, we, we have to read it carefully to kind of understand um, all of that. 
As far as the author um, of the, the book, um, it's uh, not known, although some Jewish tradition ascribes the work to Jeremiah, um, but we don't know exactly uh, who is it that authored um, the book. There are three primary sources that are actually mentioned uh, in the book itself. So in, in 1 Kings 11.41 is mentioned what's called the Book of the Acts of Solomon. Okay, And so this appears to be like a historical, biographical account of Solomon and his kingdom. This is not something that we, we have, but it's mentioned um, in, in the book. Also, in chapter 14, 19, and 15, 7, it mentions the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This book is actually mentioned many times throughout um, the book of the Kings, um, which are, again, the Chronicles of the Kings, um, where some of this material was taken. Again, we don't have this. And then similarly, there is an equivalent book for the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. The book of the Chronicles of the King of Judah um, are also uh, mentioned. Um, the book of the kings was completed after 561 BC. We know this because um, the last recorded event in 2 Kings uh, uh, was before, uh, was, was, uh, um, uh, 539 BC. So it had to have been written um, after this point. Sorry, between 561 BC and 539 BC. We know that this is kind of the time range um, where this was written. Um, and again, it covers a, a span of 130 um, years. One of the focuses of, as we have mentioned before, of the books of the Bible is even though it mentions a lot of history, it is not intended to be a historical book. So there are a lot of details and specifics and things that maybe are not even mentioned at all. So sometimes people um, will try to dissect the Bible and try to see, well, look, there's a discrepancy here or there is something missing. It's not intended to be 100% complete. So, for instance, there is a king um, whose name was Omri, okay? Um, he's one of the, the northern kingdom kings. Um, and from a political perspective, he was very, very successful. But very little is mentioned about him because he was also morally corrupt. So the focus of, of, the, of the Bible is salvation. So whether it's highlighting the righteous acts of certain people or whether it's highlighting the corrupt acts of certain people as a warning, but it doesn't necessarily cover everything equally um, or to the same degree. Okay. So we'll start in chapter 1. Okay. Um, now remember this is, if we... Rewind back to 2 Samuel, which happened immediately before this. So 2 Samuel, King David is the king. And here, this is like the very last days of the reign of King David. Okay, Again, at this point, there is only one kingdom. It is just the kingdom of Israel. Um, so it says, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king. And let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the King may be warm. So they sought for a lo sought for a lovely woman throughout all of the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. Okay, so in this story, the king is old, and they are asking for an actual person to come and to kind of be with the king to keep him warm. And they found this woman, Abishag the Shunammite. The young woman was very lovely. And she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her. Did not know her, meaning she, he did not have like sexual relationship with her. 
that was not her her that was not her role it's not like she was a concubine to him but that he he was she was there to serve him in his old age okay now even though some people considered her to be a concubine right some people consider her to be concubine but this was not it was not that she was actually um, a concubine then Idonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So this man, Adonijah, he is the son of who? Who is the son of? David. With this woman, Haggith. Okay. So again, King David had multiple wives. Uh, and so one of his wives, Haggith. Okay, her son, Adonijah, he is the one who wanted to become king. And so as was kind of the custom at the time, the person who would make the most noise and the mo get the most attention to themselves, they were hoping that if they do so, that they would become king. So he decided that he was going to get together, um, kind of an entourage, and make noise and run through the city and, and, and kind of make some fanfare about himself so that everybody would consider that he was the rightful ruler to come after King David and that if enough people accepted him as being the king, then somehow he would kind of force it that he would become the next king, even though King David had not selected him to become the next king. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Okay, um, this is actually very similar to what Absalom, Absalom is uh, one of the sons of David as well. Um, in 2 Samuel, Absalom tried to take the, the kingdom away from King David, and King David was actually on the run um, before Absalom died. In the end, he was killed, and then King David returned to his kingdom. But when Absalom, his son, also wanted to take the kingdom, he did the very same thing. In 2 Samuel 15, it says, after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. So it was like a tried and true method. It worked with Absalom getting these chariots and horses. So uh, Adonijah is thinking, if I do the same thing, then th I can become king. And of course, the king is very old and he is not really paying very much attention. He's not rebuking me for what I'm doing. So I will just kind of take this opportunity um, to become the next king. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So there's going to start to become kind of a division. There's going to become two political factions that are, that are going to form. One uh, faction are the people who are loyal to King David and knowing that he wants King Solomon to become the next king. So there's that group. And then there's another group that are going to become loyal to Adonijah. And all these people that are going to become loyal to Adonijah, they were people who were previously loyal to King David. So they are from King David, like close counselors, the, the, the close members of his uh, group. You could consider them like his... Um, you know, like his um, cabinet, so to speak. And there's there's certain people who are always kind of like, um, that we'll hear about that are the leaders. There's the commander of the army, okay? The commander of the army previously was Joab, okay? Now we see he is kind of moving into the camp of uh, uh, Adonijah. And also like the high priest, so Abiathar, who was also the priest, is now also supporting um, Adonijah. But there was other people who were with King David.
And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted calf by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. Okay, so why is he doing this? Because he wants to draw attention to himself, right? He's making a big deal um, about who he is and what's happening so that everyone will accept him to be the king. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, the mighty men, or Solomon his brother, because he knows that those are the people. Obviously, Solomon would not agree to what he's doing because he is the rightful king after King David. Um, and these others are supporting of King Solomon, so he did not invite them, okay? Here, he might appear to the people to be worshiping God, to getting God's blessing, as though this is ordained by God that he's offering the sacrifice, kind of like God has chosen him to be the next king. He is responding with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, offering the sacrifice to God, um, all under the ruse and the, pre and the and like presumption that everyone is going to see this and, again, accept him as being the rightful king after King David. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? So who is Nathan? Where did we hear about Nathan before? Yes, so Nathan is the prophet who rebuked King David. One interesting thing to see how Nathan the prophet was loyal to King David and how King David accepted Nathan the prophet to be one of his group. Right. And that King and then Nathan, the prophet is um, serving King David and King David accepts him. You know, a lot of times if we were in a position uh, of authority or leadership and then somebody comes to us and rebukes us and points out our failures and our mistakes, you know, and, and the way that Nathan, the prophet did with King David, you might think that if someone did this to me, then I won't want nothing to do with this person. Like, OK, like maybe I'm going to accept this because God is the one who told him to do this. But this person is like on my blacklist at this point. I reject them. I don't want to be with them. I'm going to send them far away. I'm not going to have them as one of my close counselors. But you see, actually, King David and one of the reasons that we read that like um, King David is a man after God's heart, like he was truly a sincere, repentant person. Um, and 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 he did not blame in any way Nathan, the prophet, for being the messenger to bring the news that he is a sinner and that God is rebuking him um, because he was the messenger. He did, not, he did not in any way attack Nathan or, or, or to, to reject him, but he is accepting of him. And so now Nathan the prophet is playing an important role in the life of King David and his son Solomon now that King David is at the end of his life. Yeah. of people who are with King David there's Shaim Sh I don't know Shammai yeah is he the same one who who cursed him uh no this is a different one because we'll read about the other one coming up yeah that's a good question um okay so so Nathan is now speaking to Bathsheba so he, he didn't go directly to David but he went to Bathsheba who is his wife have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it? So he's, he's considering that because Adonijah is like making this big fuss about himself, that this was the equivalent of him becoming the king. So people are starting to accept him, acknowledge him as being king. So he's saying, have you heard that he is now the one become king and that David doesn't know about it? Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Why is he saying that? Hmm? 
Yeah, if Adonijah becomes king, he's going to kill the competition, which is Solomon and the mother of Solomon, Bathsheba, because obviously she also wants her son to become the king. So he's giving her this advice. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and you shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? So Nathan is giving her this advice. Go to King David and say this to him. Ask him, why is it that Adonijah is becoming king and not Solomon like you promised? Then while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. Okay, so Nathan is going to come and he's going to reiterate the same thing that Bathsheba is going to be saying to King David. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? Then she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. So even he even invited all the other sons of the king, but he did not invite Solomon. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. So again saying that they will be killed um, unless King David does something. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, here is, the here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance as and invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king and, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So see, they're, they're, they're coming and presenting it to him in this like very respectful way. And they're just informing him. They're saying, this is what's happening. Is this really what you want to happen? And kind of leaving it up to King David to take action, right? If King David is rejecting what is happening, then he should take some kind of action. Then King David answered and said, call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Okay, so, so notice how King David is referring back. He's referencing kind of everything that's happened to him. He sees God as what? As the God who... Uh, has redeemed my life from every distress. Like really, if you go back and you read 
in First and Second Samuel about all the things that happened to King David, how he was on the run, how he was being threatened, how he was going to be killed, uh, all of the, 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 the difficult challenges that he faced in his life. And yet all throughout this, he's looking to God as this redeemer who redeems him from every distress. So even now in his old age, it's like King Solomon or King David is not like stressed out about anything. He just sees that everything is in the hand of God and he is responding wisely to this request that is being made to him and this information that he is learning. He's saying, no, King Solomon, Solomon will become um, the next king as I promised. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, let my lord King David live forever. And King David said, call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehida. So they came before the king. So these are the people who are on the side of King Solomon. Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehida. The king also said to them, take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. So he's going to ride on his own mule because everyone is going to recognize that the person who rides on the mule of the king is the rightful king. That he is the one who has been blessed by the king to ride on this mule. And when people see it, they're going to acknowledge that he is actually the rightful king and not Adonijah. There let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, Long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for an, uh, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Okay, so, so here he's saying not only is he going to ride the mule, but he's going to be anointed by Nathan the prophet to be king in front of everyone so that it will become clear that this is what is a sanctioned, like he is the sanctioned king. He is not someone who just kind of like took the situation in his own hands and declared himself to be king and tried to like make a, make a big kind of like um, event out of it. But this is the person who's actually the sanctioned king and he is being anointed the king by the prophet of God. Yes. Israel and Judah, if it wasn't divided at that time. So it, w it wasn't it wasn't divided, but but it was still called because Judah was one of the tribes, right? So Judah was the tribe that the kings would come from, right? Even at this time, so he's still referring to the kingdom by the two names, but they they only had one king, as opposed to later when they had two different kings and they were kind of in enmity with each other. Um, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my lord the king say so too. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on king David's mule and took him to Gihon. Does anyone know who the Cherethites and the Pelethites are? Ever heard of them? They are like mercenaries. So they would be hired by the king to kind of act like bodyguards. Um, so they were kind of like the elite kind of military support, right? So, so he went with them as well. So they are like the muscle, right? They went down with, with them um, riding on the mule, 
and, and took him there so he could be anointed by the prophet. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. It's very similar to what happened when King David himself was anointed to be the king by Samuel. Right? He was he was anointed with the oil, and the oil dripped down um, from his head. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. So now the, the word of King Solomon being the king is spreading, and everyone realizes that that is him. So now what's going to happen, and Adonijah is going to find out what happens. So Adonijah, now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? So they're like still having their party, right? This is kind of like election night when one party thinks that they've won, and then right at the very end, like they realize that they didn't win. So why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, and Adonijah said to him, Come in, for you are a prominent man, and bring good news. So Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, came in, and, and the first Adonijah was like, Oh, you must bring good news, you know, because of what's happening. Like maybe he's thinking all of this uproar that he's hearing in the city are people who are like rejoicing because Adonijah is becoming king and so on. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, No, our lord king David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Very disappointing for them. Also, Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of the Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also, the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. So all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose and each one went his way. Of course, they don't want to be associated with Adonijah at all anymore because if anyone is associated with Adonijah, they are afraid that they are going to be killed. So everybody just disappears, runs away. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon. So he arose and went and took ho hold of the horns of the altar. Why did he do that? What is that? Why is he doing this? What are the horns of the altar? Yes, so the, the, the altar and the tabernacle, whenever it was constructed, had these horn-looking things on the four corners, okay? And, and when the priest would offer the sacrifice on the altar, he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on the altar and on the horns that are on the altar. So the horns represent like forgiveness and salvation. This is this is this is why like like we even refer to Christ in this way, right? Like like uh, he he is the salvation, he is like the horns of the altar that we come to him and find salvation in him. So so Adonijah felt that for him to run into the tabernacle 
to to lay hold of the horns of the altar is an is asking from King Solomon for an act of mercy, saying just as God forgives us our sins and he has mercy on us when we offer sacrifice to him, so also have mercy on me and don't kill me or do anything to me because of what I have done. And it was and it was told Solomon saying indeed Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon for look he has taken hold of the horns of the altar saying let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword then Solomon said if he proves himself a worthy man not one hair of him shall fall to the earth but if wickedness is found in him he shall die so King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar and he came and fell down before King Solomon and Solomon said to him, go to your house. Okay. Um, so, so here, um, like King, King Solomon is being very merciful, right? He could have very easily killed Adonijah. Adonijah very clearly did something wrong. He should not have presumed or to try to manipulate the people um, in a moment of weakness of his father who can't really respond or declare in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very clear way to all the people who should be the king. He, he, he took this opportunity of the weakness of King David and, he, and the confusion of what was happening, and he went and he declared himself to be the king. So he was very, very clearly like, wrong for what he did. Okay? So, so here, um, King Solomon had every right to say, to do something to him. I mean, he could have killed him. He could have locked him up. He could have banished him. He could have, he could have done many different things. Okay, but again, King Solomon, in his mercy, he said, he said, what? No, go to your house. Like, I'm not going to do anything to you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to kill your mother. I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. All right. So he, he had, again, this is how when we speak about King Solomon being a type of Christ, um, just as the Lord is responding to those who come and pray on the altar and offer sacrifice on the altar. So King Solomon saw his, you know, his, his, his desire, his repentance, his desire for mercy. And so he offered that. Um, he offered that to him. <coughs> and actually in Amos chapter 3, 14, it says this, that in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions. I will also visit destruction all the altars of Bethel and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Here this is um, God rebuking the Israelites by saying that on the day that God rejects them, uh, he is going to cut off the horns of the altar, meaning he will no longer hear the prayers of the people. He will no longer accept their repentance. They, like the, the time of repentance has passed because they are going to be delivered to destruction in their enemies. So, so again, the idea of the horns of the altar are very much tied to mercy. And so it was also known at the time anyone who was seeking mercy would run into the tabernacle and would, would ho hold on to the horns of the altar. Okay. Yes. So... Is Solomon actually allowed to kill him if he did, if he did touch the horn of the altar? Yes, I mean it's not like it's 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 not like it's a uh, it's a commandment because you're going to see what's going to happen later. <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, no, I mean he, King Solomon could have he could have killed him, but but he chose not to. Yeah. Okay. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself uh, a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, 
to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So his last words that he's saying to his son Solomon are essentially, be faithful to God. And, and, you know, maybe even we can meditate a little bit if we are in a position like this at the end of our life and our children are there and we are, you know, what is the last things that we would say to them to, you know, our departing words. And here King David is being, um, his whole life is about following God's commandments. His whole life is about living a life of faith. Um, and he is trying to pass this on in this last moments um, that he has with his son and speaking about how he should obey God. And he is recalling the the word that God had spoken to him. And he said, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, right, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Meaning if, if, you, have, if you have done your part in raising your children in the fear of God, then you will, your, your family bloodline will always be on the throne. Like God will always be faithful to your family um, to always m maintain the throne of the kingdom as long as they fear my name, as long as they follow my precepts. And so uh, King, King David is giving Solomon this final word of encouragement um, in order to, to direct his life in the right path now that David is about to die. Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. Now, if you remember, if, you've, if, you, if, you're, if you're familiar with 2 Samuel, or if you remember when we stuck at st studied 2 Samuel, there was a time where Abner was the commander of the army for King David. Okay? Um, but then um, Joab killed him. Okay? And then Joab became the commander of the army. So King David, even though he was working closely with these people, from that point on, but he never forgot like their treachery. He never forgot their sin. He never forgot what it is that they did. And so he's now, now that he is, he is dying, right? He is like reminding Solomon of these people, right? Remember, Joab here is one of the people who was with Adonijah, right? So he was against King Solomon. He's reminding him of who this man is. Like he's not to be trusted. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. So he's saying, re respond to this. Don't, don't just leave this injustice uh, not dealt with, right? But remember the things that Joab had done. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite and let them be among those who eat at your table for they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. So Barzillai was like a servant of King David um, during the time when he was fleeing from Absalom, um, his son. Uh, we also read about him in Second Samuel. Um, and so he is wanting uh, Solomon to be uh, like giving extra favor to them for all of the good that they had done to him in his life. And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gira, a Benjamite from Bahurim, who cursed me. Actually, I think it is the same Shimei. I think it is the same one. I, I think I, I'm, I, I didn't give you the right answer before. Because he's saying, you have with you. So I think it's the same one. You have with you Shimei, the son of Gira, a Benjamite, 
from Bahuram, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanaim. But he came down to me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. So he's again, he's recalling now Shimi. What is it that Shimi had done? Does anyone remember Sh Shimi? What is it that Shimi did? What was the scene? What happened during what time of his life? From Absalom. And then he met Shimi. And Shimi was cursing him. And then what happened? Yes. So all of the, p the mighty men who are with King David wanted to put him to death. But King David responded wisely and he said, um, no, let, let him curse, right? Let, let him curse. Maybe God is the one who wants me to hear these curses, right? Which, again, I, I don't know if any of us really think that way when we're being cursed. But it's, it's a good way to think that we are deserving of these curses, that God wants us to hear these curses, that these curses are a way of humbling us. But even though King David responded that way at the time, he never forgot, right? He never forgot that this happened. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and know, th uh, know what you ought to do to him, and bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. <laughs> so how is it that we can understand like, what, like, how King David is responding? So we see, we see that King David, he was not personally offended by what Shimi did. Right? He was not personally offended. Because if he was personally offended, he could have killed him back then. Right? King David's zeal about this situation doesn't have to do with his personal offense, but it has to do with the principle behind what it is that Shimi did. King David was the lawful king, and, 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 and Shimi was cursing the king. Right? And the king was the one who was appointed by God, anointed by God to be the king. So he was the, the, the God-chosen person to be the king, and now he is being cursed. So King David saw it as this is an offense against the position of kingship which deserves respect because it is instituted by God and appointed by God, right? So here he is seeking the just, the, the, it, like to correct the injustice of what was done, not for like his personal revenge, but because of the principle of what was done was wrong, it has to be dealt with, okay? And we're going to see what's going to happen with him. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Okay, so King Solomon is now king. But we don't hear the end of Adonijah. Even though Adonijah received from uh, from Solomon, mercy, right? That he didn't deserve. And that his sin was trying to manipulate the people in order to be seen as the king, to be accepted as the king, and to become the de facto king, right? That was what he did wrong. And when he was found out, he sought mercy from King Solomon, and he received it. Okay, so, and King Solomon said, go to your house. Like, he didn't, he didn't reprimand him. He just said, go live your life, but don't have anything to do with with me or the, the kingdom, right? He has no official position in the kingdom. So what is Adonijah going to do? Now Adonijah 
the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. Then he said, You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel had set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said, Say it. Then he said, Please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. So Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak for you to the king. So why is it that he is asking this? Why do you think he's asking this? Who is Abishag? Huh? Doctor? Daughter? No. She, she was the woman who was, was appointed to be with King David in his bed to keep him warm. At the very beginning. Okay, so but so what it, what would it look like? Yes, so so it was seen that even though the Bible says he did not know her, meaning they didn't have a sexual relationship, so she was not a concubine, but many people would look to her as though she is a concubine of King David because of her position, because she's lying with him in the bed and so on. And so it was seen that if she was among the harem uh, as a concubine of King David, and then later on she was with... Uh, Adonijah, okay, then what would that mean? It would mean that he is kind of taking the, the, the wives or the, the concubines of King David to be for himself, which would kind of be, again, an indicator that he is the king. Does that make sense? Because if you had the, let's say you had, you had the, 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 the women who were the wives and the concubines of the king, and now they are suddenly the wives and the concubines of this other man, who many people had already said was king, Right, who declared himself to be the king, who had publicly offered sacrifice to God of thanksgiving for being the king, who had parties about being the king, and now he has the same harem of the king. Okay, so it's one more manipulation, right? It's one more way of him sending a message that I am actually the rightful king. Does that make sense? Some people look skeptical. You have a question? Okay. This is the way they communicated. They didn't have social media. I don't know. <laughs> so Bathsheba kind of innocently, without understanding the significance of what Adonijah was asking, right? In her mind, this is a small request. Like, okay, like, you know, you, you are going to be the king. You accepted that you're not going to be the king. But all you want is, you know, this, this woman, Abishag the Shunammite, and please go ask King Solomon Okay, I'll ask him. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and he had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. So she's, she's, she's asking it, like trying to convince him to do this. Like she's not just presenting it as, hey, Adonijah asked me to tell you this. No, she's presenting it as like, I'm desiring for you to, to like do what it is that I'm asking you for. Okay, and the, and the king said to her, ask it, my mother, 
for I will not refuse you. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. Okay. Now look at King Solomon's response. He understood immediately what was behind this. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also. For he is my older brother for him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. Right? Keep in mind, right, usually the kingdom would go to the oldest son. Right? Here Adonijah is older. See, it keeps turning off. Here Adonijah is older than King Solomon. Right? Is older than Solomon. And yet Solomon was the one who was made king. So there was a lot of different people who might contest this. There are a lot of people who might think, no, Adonijah is the rightful king. So, so you can clearly see that Adonijah still had in his mind, like he wanted to be treacherous. He wanted to manipulate. He wanted to, he had a plan, a scheme in his mind that he wanted to um, go and like still manipulate people into thinking he was the king. He had like something that he was cooking up, right? And, and, and he went and asked Bathsheba very innocently, again, in that same kind of conniving way. She didn't see anything wrong with what he was saying, but when he went to King Solomon, he immediately understood what is it that Adonijah was really asking for. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. So see, the first time when he did all of that uproar, King Solomon forgave him and he said, Go to your house. Now, this time... King Solomon is not going to be as merciful to him. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So he was going to take swift action. He wasn't going to tolerate this man anymore. You know, the, the longer that I let him live, the more he's going to try to scheme against me. So he, he has to end his life. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. So that was the end of Adonijah. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Abiathar was someone who had experienced many things with King David, if you go back and read in Second Samuel. Um, but he had turned on him, because now he was supporting Adonijah when he was trying to become the king. So again, King Solomon doesn't want to have anything to do with him. He, he sent him away. He said, I'm not going to kill you, but he, he sent him away. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, and that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Okay, so who is Eli? You remember Eli? Eli the priest. Where, what, what happened with him? Yeah, so he, Eli had two sons. Do you remember their names? Hophni and... Phinehas, right? And they were what? What was it? They were priests, right? And they committed sin with the people, okay? And they were not faithful in the priesthood. And Eli, who was the high priest, he did not do enough to rebuke them and to stop them from what they were doing, okay? So um, uh, God, this is why God rejected Eli 
from the very beginning of First Samuel, right, when God um, speaks to Samuel when he was a boy living in the house with Eli, and God reveals to Samuel that he has rejected Eli from being the priest, okay, because of this reason. So what does this have to do with Abiathar? So this was Elijah's long dead by now, or I Eli, sorry, Eli. Yes, so Eli is the great-great-grandfather of, um, Abiathar is the great-great-grandson of Eli, okay? So so just as, like, like he's saying, the fulfillment of what God had said to uh, Eli is being fulfilled here, okay? It's being fulfilled here. So just as he was rejected, so now we see that Abiathar is being rejected. Now keep in mind, because some people will ask, like, well, why is it that Abiathar is being rejected for a sin that his great-great-grandfather had done? Well, he's not being rejected for the sin because he committed the sin here. Like, he, he's being rejected for what he did. But it was a prophecy about him. It was a prophecy about what is going to happen in the future. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. Right, so at the time when Absalom was betraying his father David, Joab remained faithful to David. But now when Adonijah is trying to take the throne from Solomon, Joab was not faithful to David. He, did not, he was not faithful to his son Solomon, whom he wanted to be the king. So Joab fled to the, to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. Like, okay, everyone can take hold of the horns of the altar. It's like a game now, right? And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon said to Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. So see, it wasn't an automatic, right? Like, like someone could go to the horns of the altar and the king would have mercy on them, right? But here, uh, he went to the horns of the altar and he didn't get spared. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, thus says the king, come out. And he said, no, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, Do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab, sh which Joab sh uh, shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and he killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. So these are the two men, innocent men, that Joab killed. Um, and, uh, and so he's like, uh, he's earning his, you know, he's, he's, he's getting the, the justice that he deserves for the things that he had done years and years uh, ago. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. So he, all of those people who were faithful to him, he's replacing them. Uh, he's replacing the people who 
uh, had, had been cast out or had been killed, he's replacing them with those people who are now loyal to him. Yes? I think, you know, at that time, like, um, he's too weak to do anything. Like, he can't even give orders to people. He's there laying in bed. He's not even able to get up from the bed. His body is cold. Like, he's very elderly and sick. And so he's not in any place to actually, like, rule as the king. So he is, he was technically still the king because he was still alive. But in practice, Solomon had kind of taken up the, the reins of the kingdom at that point. And so he was just telling Solomon what to do. Oh, so at, at the time, um, David needed a lot of these people because he was in a position of weakness, right? Like, like he, was, he was on the run, for instance, during the time of Absalom. And whoever it is was going to be loyal to him, he wanted them around to, to, to help him. So he was not in a place where he could really like exercise that kind of justice at the time. And so these kinds of wrongs were never righted. Like they were, they were kind of things that had happened, but they were never really dealt with. And so now, at this point, he's saying now Solomon can deal with them in his own way. And you notice that, like, like in a lot of things, he says to Solomon, you are wise, deal with it in the right way. He doesn't necessarily tell him exactly what to do, but, but he gave it kind of him some freedom to decide. And we'll see with Shimei, actually right here, like what it is that King Solomon does. He doesn't go and immediately kill him. Okay, this is, this is what he's going to do. It says, then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron. Know for certain you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your head. So, so Shimei is the one who King David told Solomon that he should be punished somehow. Okay. But he said, deal with it in the, in the, in the way that you, that is appropriate. Okay. So. King David didn't just go and kill him, but he kind of confined him to live in a certain area and said, you cannot leave this area. Here, build a house here in Jerusalem and stay within the vicinity here and know that if you ever left here, then you will be killed. So it's kind of like he's on probation. Um, he can't go out of this area. And Shimei said to the king, the saying is good. As my lord, the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem many days. So Shimei, like, he understood that he was vulnerable. He understood of what he had done previously when King David was on the run and how he disrespected him. And so he's willing to accept uh, the, the consequences of this. He is not trying to fight. He knows that he's in a position of weakness and that he wouldn't be able to win. So he's just thankful that this was the determination of King Solomon. Now it happened at the end of three years. So he lived this way for three years that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Mecca, king of Gath. So this is the area of the Philistines. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei rose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Right, so this is what Solomon had told him not to do, not to leave. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said, Moreover to Shimei, 
You know as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So one thing that we see every time there is like a transition from one king to the next, there is always these loose ends, the things that kind of happened from before or the people who could be threats. And, and, and often what happens is there is a period of bloodshed. And we, we saw this when King David became king from Saul as well. Um, and this is kind of like the, the normal pattern um, that we see. But this was kind of the end of this period of killing uh, now that King Solomon has become king and his kingdom is established um, and it ended with the death of Shimei. Any questions or comments before we conclude? Okay. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing in all things, and we ask, O God, to open our hearts to understand your word and to understand all the lessons that we learn from it. We ask, O God, for your mercy, just as, O Lord, we have all made mistakes and just as we all failed you and been wicked, O Lord, in many different ways with you and with the way we deal with other people. We ask for your mercy, O Lord, and we ask for your blood to cleanse us and to raise us up, O Lord, again whole. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.